The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. This morning I want to preach to you from the first chapter of the book of Matthew, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus." for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophets, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. This morning, I want to preach to you about the good news of Christmas. The good news of Christmas. Now, before you start uh, objecting, you, I, I need you to understand that I certainly know that Christ did not have a mass. I understand that. And I realize that that is how the term Christmas began. But we're not here celebrating Mass. We don't do that in the Primitive Baptist Church. But we do call the season what most people call it, Christmas. I also know that he probably wasn't born this time of the year. I get that. I understand that that's probably not when he was born. But he was born, and we ought to think about it at least once a year. I hope you do more than that, but at least once a year. And too many times, I'm afraid, we have neglected to talk about the birth of Christ for fear that folks might think that somehow we're buying into some pagan worldview and buying into some uh, commercialism that's out there. Uh, listen, everything that we have in this world is, 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 has the potential to be corrupted by the world. And most things are corrupted in some way by the world, okay? But our job is to stay the course and to not be deviated from the truth even when others are corrupting it and not to go into the other ditch in, in, in an overcorrection, if you will. You know, that's, they teach you that in driving, don't they? So if you run off on the right side of the road, don't overcorrect because you'll end up crashing. Well, guess what? It works in theology just like that. <laughs> just because somebody goes in one ditch, don't you end up in the other ditch. So this morning, I want to preach to you about the good news of Christmas. Because let me tell you, the birth of Christ is some great news. <laughs> and this account here is a little synopsis of it. We'll probably look over in the book of Luke a little bit about some more details. But this is a little bit of a synopsis here. This is actually the... Uh, uh, tells us what led up to the birth of Christ. And I want to look at these passages for the next few minutes. First of all, we see Mary's dilemma. Mary's dilemma. Now, now the first thing we need to see, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, birth and Jesus Christ 
don't really belong in the same sentence. At least you don't think about that, do you? I mean, how could God be born? Isn't the very nature of being God that he's always existed? And the answer is yes and yes and yes. It, it, it's the, his very nature is that he has always existed. And, you know, there are those that have gotten all mixed up on this. And they, 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 there are those that teach that the incarnation of Christ was his beginning. But, beloved, I wanna, I'm not going to turn back over there. But back in the book of Proverbs about the eighth chapter, it, it tells us uh, in talking about wisdom. And I believe it's a capital W wisdom there that Jesus Christ was the embodiment, the, the, the personification, if you will, of wisdom. Uh, he was there in the creation. And, and the question is asked, what is his name? Talking of God. And then it says, what is his son's name? Even in the Old Testament, they knew that God had a son. And of course, we understand now through the clear, uh, the clarity of the New Testament scriptures that, that God is a threefold God. He is one, but he is manifest in three different personas. He is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And, uh, uh, and these three are one, we're told in the book of 1 John. One of the reasons I don't like these new translations is that 1 John in the 5th chapter, and I forget the exact verse, I believe it's verse 21, it's completely left out of the NIV and many of the other new fangled translations. But if you go back to the old KJV, which we do, it's there because it was there in the original manuscripts and those that was used in the translation of the KJ, uh, into the KJV. But see, the Lord, it doesn't, it doesn't ring, you know, it, it messes with your mind to think about what happened here. Because birth and Jesus Christ don't normally go together in the same sentence. You see, the, the, the very name, we may come back to this in a minute, the very name Jesus Christ denotes some important facts about him. One is, is that he is the Savior. That's what... Iesus means Jesus in Greek, and it's the, it's, the, it's the Greek transliteration of the Hebrew word Jehoshua or Yeshua. And that literally meant Savior, Savior. And, and Christ is the Greek transliteration, or the Greek term rather, uh, for the Messiah. Messiah is the anointed one. The Messiah has been prophesied from ages past that he was to be divine he was to be the son of, he was he was to be god himself in person here seated on the throne of david his father so how is it that this could happen over in the book of luke the first chapter look at or the second chapter listen to this just in case you need more information very familiar passage and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph, this same Joseph we're talking about in Matthew 1, Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth unto Judea into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be taxed with Mary his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. So birth in Jesus Christ 
don't normally go together. But, but now listen to the circumstances of the birth. Remember, Jesus, Yahshua, Yeshua, the Savior, Christ, Christos, the Messiah, the great, in one place he's called the great King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The circumstances of his birth and his glorious, illustrious name don't really go together, do they? Because look, he's the king of kings. And I'll tell you, beloved, when, the, you know, I, I was, I, when I was in San Diego several years ago, I took a tour of that uh, battleship that's out there that's a museum now. And one of the things about that great, it was an aircraft carrier, rather. One of the things about that great aircraft carrier was that it was not just any aircraft carrier. It was the flagship of the fleet. And what that meant was is that they didn't, it didn't just have a captain's quarters. It had the admiral's quarters as well. And the captain was in charge of the boat, but the admiral was in charge of the fleet. And I'll tell you, the captain's quarters were very nice, <laughs> but the admiral's quarters were a little bit nicer. You know why? Because the admiral is over the captain. The admiral is more, has more authority, has more power, has, is more illustrious than the captain. Okay? <clears throat> Jesus Christ is not just a king. He is the king of kings. He should have come in a palace. There should have been trumpeters announcing his birth. There should have been a parade. There should have been a, uh, there should have been a, a monument erected to him. There should have been people thronging his uh, his, his birthplace. But beloved, he was born in a stable and laid in a feed trough. Laid in a manger. Those circumstances of birth and Jesus Christ just don't go together, do they? <laughs> they don't go together. <clears throat> you know, this was confusing to a lot of folks. And the idea that God would come down and become flesh. That was confusing to a lot of people. In the 22nd chapter of Matthew, you know, Jesus didn't toy with people, but sometimes I, I use that, I think of that term when, I'm, when I read what, he's, what he was doing with the Pharisees. He wasn't maliciously toying with them, but I, I still say sometimes he, was, he, had a, he had a little smile on his face when he'd ask some of these questions. He knew they weren't going to be able to answer this. And in the... Um, in the 22nd chapter, in the 41st verse, after a whole long day of, of interacting with the Pharisees, it says, while they were gathered, the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, they'd been asking him questions, Jesus asked them, saying, what think you of Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him, the son of David. And they were correct. They were technically right. And not just technically, they were right. But they didn't get the whole picture. Because Jesus then asked them this question, How then doth David in spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then called him Lord, how is he his son? That is, how is Christ his son? And you know what they said about that? No man was able to answer him a word. <laughs> Neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. They didn't get it. And they knew they didn't get it, and they said, we better not talk anymore because <laughs> we're not going to trap this guy. They, they've been trying to trick him. They've been trying to trap him with his words, and they never did get to it. But he got them. But you see, what he was telling them is this. 
is that you're not understanding the nature of the Messiah. The Messiah, the Christ that's coming, who is me, by the way, he's saying in many places. The Christ who is here is the Son of God. Yes, he's the Son of David. Well, how is that? You know, we also read about him being the son of man. Well, it's because they couldn't, they could never understand that God would have to become flesh in order to put away sins. But that's what Hebrews tells us, isn't it? Over in the book of Hebrews, the second chapter and the 14th verse, listen to this. Hebrews 2, 14, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Now I told you to start with that birth and Jesus Christ don't really go together, do they? But listen to this. In the mind and purpose of God, they fit exactly together. And and when it comes to the, the eternal salvation of God's people, they had to go together. It says, He verily took not on Him the nature of angels. That's what He was. It's what He looked like. In fact, every time anybody in the Old Testament or New Testament saw an angel, they wanted to worship Him. Those angels are glorious. And He could have come down here in His glory. He did appear in His glory one time on a Mount of Transfiguration, and it confused Peter so badly he didn't want to leave, and he wanted to build three tabernacles. One to Elijah and Moses who also appeared. You see... I love the fact that we're going to be like Jesus one day. We're going to look like Jesus one day. We're going to be glorified like Jesus one day. There, you know, if in my glorified state, you won't be able to tell the difference between me and Jesus. I mean, other than the fact that he's got the nail scars in his hands. <laughs> what I mean by that is not that I'm equal with him, but that he's going to make me like him. If I, in my glorif- if I <clears throat> died and went to heaven and God allowed me to come back to this church in my glorified state, every one of you would want to fall down and worship me. <laughs> you know, you'd all hit, the, hit your knees. Because when we see glorified beings like that, we realize we're in the presence of something greater than us. But that's not how Jesus came. He did not come down here in his glorified state. I've been present at the births of all of my children. It was a difficult matter. It was painful for my wife. It was, it was uh, there was times of great uh, anxiety on my part and on the doctor's parts, you know, and the nurses. There's a lot of activity running around. A lot of, you know, that's not how you expect a God to enter this world. But God says uh, through the, Apostle Paul here, for verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. And wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of his people. Birth, the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. Now let's switch gears just for a minute and think about this sweet little Virgin Mary, this sweet little girl in Israel. She was espoused to Joseph, and under Jewish law, that means she was already considered to be his wife. And I just tell you, it was a big problem for her to be pregnant out of wedlock. 
in those days, it was a huge problem for her to be expecting a child when she had not yet come together with her husband. Now, I just want to sidetrack just a minute. There's some scholars today that tell us that that term virgin in Isaiah needs to be translated young woman. <clears throat> and they insist that it wasn't talking about someone who has never, uh, some young girl who's never been with a man. But I'm so thankful that, uh, that the Bible, that God anticipated that problem and he went ahead and cleared matters up for us. You see, we're not relying just on the term virgin to understand that she had never been with a man. It says in this very verse, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together. Now, I'm not going to turn over there, but we're going to in a few minutes probably turn over to the first chapter of Luke, but not right now. But about verse 34, after the angel announced to Mary that she was going to have a child by the Holy Ghost, she said, how can these things be seeing I know not a man? Seeing I know not a man. In other words, she's affirming her purity at that point. And, and beloved, it had to be that way. It had to be that way because there's a prophecy of the Old Testament. In fact, it's the very first prophecy of the Old Testament that tells us that there's a Messiah coming. And it's over there on the very day that the sin curse covered this earth. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, we read that as God is pronouncing judgment upon Adam and Eve and ultimately the serpent, he says to the serpent, he says, uh, I will put enmity between thy seed, serpent, and her seed, the woman's seed. Now, that's not a normal term to use because everywhere else you see it, it's talking about the seed of the man. The man was the dominant one. The man is who's, who gave his name to the woman and who gave his name to the children. It was always through the seed of Adam or through the seed of some other man that someone was born, but not in the case of the Messiah. He said, I'll put enmity between thy seed and her seed. And you know what he said? Thou shalt bruise his heel, but it shall bruise thy head. <laughs> this was the fulfillment of that prophecy because this young, sweet uh, child almost in Israel, this young girl in Israel here, who was espoused to this godly man as we're going to see, before she came together to be his wife physically, before she knew a man, she was found of child, with child of the Holy Ghost. Now, I, I, again, this isn't what I want to preach this morning, but sometime, I want, maybe, maybe the Lord will lead me to this one day, but sometime I want you to read the first chapter of the book of Acts. And I want you to think about this, this sweet young virgin in Israel right here who, who was with child. And nobody, very few people, I'm sure, believed her story. I'm sure when she went out or when Joseph went out and said, well, you know, Holy Ghost is the father. They're like, yeah, right, you know. I'm sure they whispered behind Joseph's back, that poor guy, does he really believe that? I'm sure they whispered behind her back. Uh, I'm sure they talked about her. But over in, the, over in the first chapter of Acts, after Jesus has come back from the grave, he's been resurrected, 
and he's then ascended back to heaven. We read about a time when all the apostles were together. It's the last time we read about them all being together. And it calls their names, and it says that the mother of Jesus was there. And I just got to think that she just had a little smile on her face because, you know, you know what vindicated her? You know, she was finally vindicated. You know what vindicated her was the resurrection. She said, I've been telling y'all, <laughs> I've been telling y'all all this time that I was, I, I was not unfaithful. I was not wi some wild young woman. I, I was a, a, with child of the Holy Ghost. I've been telling you about that. And the proof of it now is that he has risen from the dead. <laughs> Praise God. I can just see that sweet, that sweet little mother in Israel now, finally vindicated. and know, All those folks knowing that she was telling the truth all along. What a dilemma she was in, though. But now look at Joseph's compassion. Look at verse 19. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. He was a just man. That word just there means a righteous, virtuous man, a man whose way of thinking, feeling, and acting is wholly conformed to the will of God. That doesn't mean he was perfect, but it means he was trying to be. He was trying to do what he was supposed to do under the law. He was trying to live a godly life, and you know, that's all any of us can do. We'll never reach perfection in this life but we can try and, and you know people just as well as I do there are those out there whose whole goal seems to be to want to mess things up and to do wrong and to do uh, you know to do harm to others and and to just do whatever they can to go contrary to the will of God but then you know some people that are trying to live their lives in conformity with the word of God now, they don't, make, they don't get it completely right, but that's their overall focus. And that's the kind of man that I believe Joseph was. I believe that's what he's telling us here, is that Joseph was a man who was trying to live in a godly way. And he was also a compassionate man, we read here. You know, I've also known some people who, as I heard a preacher say one time, they try to walk so straight, they break their backs. <laughs> you know, they're trying to... They're legalists. They're trying to toe the letter of the law, toe the line as to the letter of the law. We read about some of them in the book of Mark, didn't we? Said, uh, you know, asking the question, uh, uh, is it lawful? You know, that's, that's the, oh, well, is it lawful? Where, where's the line? Because I want to get right up to it. You know some people, you know them. They found out that their fiancé was expecting a child that wasn't their child. First, they wouldn't want to just be quiet about it. They would make a public example of her. Listen, we've all got it in our hearts. I get that. I can see that. I want to make sure that people know what she did and that I'm right and she's wrong. That doesn't serve you very well anywhere, not in a marriage for sure. And it sure doesn't serve you well in life. But this Joseph was not that kind of guy. I don't know a lot about it. We're not told a lot about Joseph. We know he was a carpenter. Does that mean he was a hard worker? He worked with his hands. We know that he was a just man trying to do right. But I believe from this we read that he was a compassionate man. He had love in his heart. The law was clear. He could put her away. But instead of the pharisaical legalism of the day, Joseph would have acted toward her with compassion for her situation. You know, that's what we're all called to do, isn't it? None of us are. I, I know. I do it. 
some, some of it is related to the job I used to do. You know, unfortunately, Brother Bob knows in law enforcement, the first thing you tend to think is not, oh, oh, really? <laughs> the first thing you tend to think is, yeah, right. <laughs> that that's, tends to be our approach. And sometimes it doesn't have to be just law enforcement. Uh, but whatever we do, we tend to be that way. But that's not the way we're supposed to be. Have, I've had situations in my life where I've had to struggle against that, that, yeah, right, and, and, and went to the, oh, really, uh, attitude, knowing all along, Brother Bob, that it wasn't going to work out. <laughs> and it didn't. But you know what? I'd do it again. And that's the approach we're supposed to have with people. We're supposed to be compassionate and give them the benefit of the doubt to the extent that we can. I don't mean letting people completely take advantage of you and steal all your money and all that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'll share this with you. Um, there was a guy, it was uh, in Birmingham during my campaign, and uh, I, I stopped at this little um, jet pep station uh, up there or a pilot station up above Birmingham several times because I have a little card that gives me nickel off per gallon so I needed to save all the money I could so I'd go there so I stopped at this station guy comes up to me hey man I'm stuck here I uh, can't get out of Birmingham need to get home well where's your home Barry I said oh really interesting so I asked him a little bit more turns out I I knew him. <laughs> he was from Barry. Uh, don't think I'd ever actually dealt with him in court, but I'd put his daddy in jail. And uh, he, it was, uh, so I said, so I said to him, though, I said, I said oh, okay, man. You know, I said, look, I'm going to give you 20 bucks. I said, now you're probably going to go buy dope with it. I, I get that. I said, but I want you to know, are you going to drive by? I, no, man, I'm not going to do it. I said, well, I want you to know something. When this money leaves my hand, it's out of my control. I'm doing what the Lord requires me to do. And I want you to think about it every, every, every drink you take out of that bottle of alcohol or every hit you take off that drug that the Lord is watching you. And, and he knows what you're doing with this. And I said, I love you. The Lord uh, loves his children, and, and I hope you're one of them, and here's your money. Now, I don't know what he did with that. Uh, but I hope, and he probably went out and drank a whole bottle of liquor or, you know, took drugs or whatever. But I hope that was the most miserable drink of liquor he ever had in his life, you know. Because I know I was probably being taken advantage of. Actually, turns out I was because about six months later I stopped at the same place and he came up to me again, forgot that he'd come up to me six months before. Hey, man, I'm stuck in Birmingham. I need to get back to Barry. I said, well, you, you must not have made it back last time I gave that 20 bucks. But, but I say all that to say this, that, uh, that our approach to people, I struggle with it. Our approach to people needs to be compassionate. Again, it doesn't mean you give away all your money. It doesn't mean you, you just let people take advantage of, of you and, and, and your circumstances. But it does mean that whenever you have the opportunity, you're looking for that, that option that shows love as opposed to that option that says, you're not going to take advantage of me, you see. Here we have a man that did that. And I confess again to you, I, 
get the other side. I would probably have wanted to make her an example. He probably had it in his heart he wanted to, but he was trying to live in a godly way. And listen, he was living before Jesus Christ. You know how we know that? Because he's the stepfather of Jesus Christ. We're living after Jesus Christ, and we now know what Jesus Christ did for us. He only could suspect what was coming. He could only glean it from the Old Testament Scriptures. But here, this is a man who shows us that love is not a new concept to the New Testament. Love was taught throughout the Old Testament. In fact, every time a lamb was slain on the altar there, it was teaching us the ultimate love that, it would, that would be required in order to put away our sins. If Jesus has done for us what He's done for us, how can we not do for others what we need to do to help them? This man was compassionate. The law was clear. He could, be, he could put her away. You know what he did? He acted like his stepson would act in the 8th chapter of the Gospel of John when a woman caught in the act of adultery was brought to him. You know, Jesus didn't say don't punish her, did he? He didn't say, oh, she's right. Anything goes. Do what you want in this life. He never did justify what she did. He just bent down when they started writing. I don't know what he was writing in the dirt. I, I like to kind of think it was probably the Ten Commandments, you know, and, and those Pharisees standing around wanting to stone. He said, let him that is without sin among you cast the first stone. And, and, and when he got to thou shalt not steal, there may have been three or four that said, oops, I better go. <laughs> thou shalt not uh, bear false witness. Uh-oh, that got me. I got to go. And the rest of them standing around that, uh, uh, that had made it through all the first nine, it said, Thou shalt not covet. And every other one of them left. <laughs> I don't know if that's what it was. I, I've speculated, and that's all it is, speculation. But I'll tell you this. Joseph knew that fact before it was taught by Jesus, that he was a sinner and that he could not uh, treat her in a way that he had not already been treated by God. And notice that he was also a faithful man. It says <clears throat> in verse 20, while he thought on these things. Are you bad to make snap decisions? I know I am. Man, I, that's my nature, is to jump to a conclusion, and boy, you're not going to move me off of it. I know <laughs> I've known a, uh, some people like that. I knew a judge one time who, if you didn't get to him first, if you didn't put on your side of the case first, you wouldn't win. It just if you were a plaintiff, it wasn't because he was pro-plaintiff or anything. He just he heard the plaintiff's side and it got locked into his mind. It got written into his mind and heart like the laws of the Medes and the Persians, and it wasn't going to be changed. And you were just fighting an uphill battle if you were trying to present evidence on the backside, you see. That's not the way we're supposed to be. That's not the way Joseph was. He thought on these things. Proverbs 18, 13 says, He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. But he thought on these things. He was meditating upon these things. And later on in verse 24, we find that he, rose, he was raised from sleep and he did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him. He was faithful to what he was told by God. He was faithful to the message that was delivered. And that brings us to the angel's message. The angel's message. 
while he thought on these things, verse 20, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. The angel brought a message of good news to Joseph. Did you know that what the, what the angel is telling Joseph here is the gospel message? The good news of the grace of God? Notice he brought, the angel brought tidings of peace to Joseph. Joseph was very troubled. This was a difficult position for a man to be in who's trying to do the will of God. His wife, his wife-to-be, who he's already considered to be the husband of, is expecting a child but not by him. What do I do? It's a troubling situation. You know, I don't know, I don't know our concept today of falling in love and all that. You know, we, we, we do uh, espousals and, and, and engagements differently than they did it back then. There's more choice on the part of the participants instead of the parents arranging the marriages. Although I think that's still a good idea. But anyway, that's enough. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, the, uh, you know, back then the parents arranged marriages. So I don't know how much the feelings were caught up. I know they were, you know, I'm sure they were nervous about uh, becoming husband and wife. But, but not only that, now, not only did he have the, 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 the nerves, the wedding jitters, he had to worry about the fact that his wife was expecting a child and it wasn't his child. What a troubling situation he was in. But remember what the angel said, fear not, fear not. You know, this is the common refrain of Scripture, is it not? Fear not. Fear not. Over in Luke, the, what we consider the Christmas story in the second chapter. Listen to this. <laughs> Beginning about, uh, about verse 8. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. I, everywhere we read in the scriptures about an angel appearing, there's fear in there. There's fear. I, I hope, I, I know that we, we sometimes think of God as a big old buddy up in heaven, but I'll tell you, beloved, uh, he is our, our great friend, but he is also great and mighty and to be adored and to be feared. And I can just see these angels. We're told that angels do the bidding of God. I can just see these angels around the throne room of God the Father seated there high and lifted up like Isaiah saw him and saying, I want you to go now to these shepherds down here on a hillside in Bethlehem and tell them about my son being born. And instantaneously, with a snap of the fingers or a twinkle of the eye, I don't know what it was, but I'll tell you, they leave the throne. And it's, you've seen these cartoons where, where someone comes sliding in in a vehicle or something, and they're dragging uh, all kinds of stuff behind them. They've been going so fast, they whoosh, you know, and here comes the trash and everything blowing in behind them. I believe the glory of God was like, that the angels came whoosh right down onto the hillside in Bethlehem and the glory of God was following them they came straight from the throne room down to the earth and the glory of God was still with them and they were sore afraid what the angels say then you better be afraid I'm I'm big and bad and I'm better than you and God is angry with you you know that's the message that so many people preach today oh you better you better do something to get yourself right with God or else he's going to crush you. That's not what the angel said, is it? Fear not. 
For behold, now listen to this. I want you to listen to this gospel message being preached. I hope you'll remember this, this verse. And I hope you'll hold me and Brother Buddy and any other preacher that preaches from this pulpit to this standard. <clears throat> you see, in the world today, in the world today, the message from most pulpits is a message of fear, a message of, that's scary, a message that makes you act. It makes you act in a spirit of adrenaline rush and feeling like, man, if I don't do something, I'm going to be in trouble. The world's teaching you, they're saying, God loves you so much. He loves every person in this whole wide world so much. And he is longing to have a relationship with you. He wants you to be his bride. He wants you to, to, to accept his offer. He wants you to make your decision for him to, to say yes to his proposal. Because he loves you so much. But if you don't, he's going to crush you in hell forever. What if I'd gone to Sherry like that? What if I'd gone to her and said, Sherry, after, you know, y'all, some of y'all know, knew Mr. Bob Fair. Go to her and say, Sherry, I love you. Here's the ring. I want you to be my wife. I want you to just, just accept my ring, accept the position of being my wife. But if you don't, I got a gun right here. I'm going to kill you if you don't. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be here today. Bob Fair would have killed me, you know. They put me in jail for that. I prosecute people for that. Beloved, God is not like that. God is not a domestic violence abuser, okay? <laughs> he is not. He is a God who loves his people. And, he, and the message from God is not do something or you're going to die. The message from God is I've died for you so you'll never have to die. For unto you, he said, fear not, I behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Praise God. That's my message to you. Listen, I know I, there's some bad news. The bad news is you're a sinner. You deserve hell. That's the bad news. You deserve hell because Adam put you on that road to it. But guess what? You deserve it on your own. You're not just going to hell because Adam sent you that way. You are going to hell because Adam put you in that position. But you like it. <laughs> in, your, in your nature, in your human nature, you love the path you're on. I love the worldliness that's, that, that's out there in my human nature. But praise God, that's the bad news. The good news is Jesus died for sinners like me. And that's good news. And the angels that came around this one that was speaking in verse 13 said, There was a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, and in earth peace. Goodwill toward men, joyous tidings. I bring you good tidings of great joy, unheard of in history. What did that angel say in verse 20? Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And you know, 
this, this precious angel, this glorious angel, this immaculate, perfect being serving God brought the greatest news of all in verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Notice there's three shalls in this verse. I looked, at, I looked up that, the tense of the verbs that gets us to this shall. And in, in one of the New Testament commentaries, um, uh, looking back into the translation, Meyer's New Testament commentary says the future, this is the future tense. And the future tense served in classical writers to denote the idea, the softened idea of the imperative. In the, in the Septuagint, which is the Greek, Old Test, uh, Greek version of the Old Testament, and in the New Testament, it is especially used of divine injunctions and denotes thereby the imperative sense. And it uses a word I don't even know how to pronounce, but it means unquestionably true because it supposes the undoubted certainty of the result. Isn't that amazing? The undoubted certainty of the... See, I love the fact that in this King James Bible, they use the word shall here. Some places use the word will, but shall denotes... They knew, those translators knew that this was not some wishful thinking. This was not some fleeting hope. This was an absolute certainty. Thou she shall bring forth a son. And, you know, most every Christian denomination agrees on the first two of these. She shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. They all believe that. But, beloved, the, what sets us apart as primitive Baptists from most of the denominational world is that we believe that that third shall is true as well. He shall save his people from their sins. <laughs> Praise God for those shalls. The shalls of salvation he shall save his people from their sins fulfilling the prophecies fulfilling the prophecies that we've read about he goes on to tell us about that that uh, uh, that these prophecies are being fulfilled behold a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel what does Emmanuel mean God with us God with us and notice that his parents were faithful as they took this message and began to raise him on this sin-cursed earth. You know, I, I like to look at the faithfulness of his parents. They're not saints. They're not saints in the sense that, the, that, that some denominations promote them to sainthood. They're not some kind of saintly perfection that's attached to them. But I'll tell you this, they were faithful servants in their lives. You think the Lord would have chosen one of the wild women of this world to be his mother? Or one of the party animal American idols of this day to be his earthly stepfather? You think he'd go to Hollywood to get somebody? Or is he going to go down to the humble and the meek and the godly, the lowly, like Joseph and Mary? What good news this is for sinners. What good news this is for me. Because I know me better than I know you. And I know how much I deserve hell. But this, this good news of Christmas, this good news that he shall save his people from their sins was fulfilled some 33 and a half years later when he hung on a cross and cried out, It 
is finished. What good news. Jesus, Jesus, the very name that means salvation. It means literally Jehovah is salvation. And guess what? He saved his people from their sins. I hope this is good news to you, not just at Christmas time, but every day of this year. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.